Welcome to Cabbages and Kings, a podcast for readers of science fiction and fantasy. I'm your host, Jonah Sutton Morse. Welcome. My guest this week is my mom, Joanne, an avid reader of sci-fi fantasy and many other things, and who introduced me to many of my first reads since I was reading the things that were on the shelves often. You asked to come on to talk about how worlds are introduced to readers and the eyes of protagonists that we use, and specifically, I think, middle-aged women. Thank you. Thank you. Well, this topic really occurred to me as I was kind of reflecting, uh, partly through listening to your podcasts, on the genre sci-fi fantasy and thinking about the different characters. And it occurred to me that so many of the books are coming-of-age novels. That is, you start out with somebody who's pretty young, you know, mid-teens, going into 20s, figuring things out, maybe getting old. But at the same time that we're learning about the world, we are also watching usually a young man, sometimes a young woman, also learn about the world. So I thought, well, wait a minute here. You know, the world has more interesting people in it than just that. What what about those books where the character, the main character, already knows herself? Okay, understands what's at stake in the world, where things are going to go wrong, things like that. And then we as readers learn the world through those eyes instead. So that's kind of, you know, that's what got me thinking about it. And, you know, of course, because I love Bujold, the, you know, <laughs> obvious character is Cordelia. Right. Who is just such a fantastic character. And we first meet her discovering a new world when she is already, you know, a major scientist explorer. That's an example of a different way of encountering a, a new world through different eyes. It's been a while since I read It's Cordelia's Honor, but my memory is that she is exploring a relatively new and unknown planet, and Errol Verkosigan is also there, and at least initially they are, if not at war, fairly hostile. Yeah. So... In terms of things to discover, Cordelia ends up learning a lot about the Barriaran culture, and Errol has a fair number of somewhat shocking moments of discovery about the Baton culture. Yes, although it's more about Cordelia than Beta itself. He learns a lot about her, and that then colors his understanding of Baton culture, where she learns a lot about him and puts up with Barry Aran culture right. because she gets him. <laughs> right. But there's that whole, I guess, about a first, you know, fourth of the novel where they're walking through this new world. Right. And they discover animals that are, you know, look beautiful, but are terrible, things like that. And you know, she has more experience with where the dangers are, but of course he has more experience with actually protecting himself in, you know, in the wilderness. So there's this interplay back and forth between them. And that's, of course, how they fall in love, which is a really beautiful setting. So when I think of the Vorkosigan novels and the sorts of discoveries 
that the reader makes about what's going on. So going going back to the notion that frequently we get introduced to a world from the perspective of a relatively naive young person who is also learning about themselves. Right. I think about David Edding's Pawn of Prophecy, but I read that one a few times. But there's Garion, who's <laughs> the farm boy who, you know, goes off and has adventures and has an, a couple of wizardly mentors and things. And he is certainly both you know, learning about himself and coming into his own and also learning about the world and in large part learning about the politics and the magic of the world. Yes. And when I think about the Vorkosigan novels, I think a lot about the politics and the relationships between political factions and different empires among the stars. Like I'm thinking, so in terms of discovery, those are the sorts of discoveries that i feel like the reader gets to make does that yes am i am i misremembering yes. are, are the are these no. the sort of marvels of the planet key elements i thought that in many ways the mar the marvels of the planet are primarily opportunities for errol and uh cordelia to get to know each other better right yes in a word I take the point that is certainly in the Miles novels, okay, where, you know, Miles goes off first just to be on his own because, you know, he's blown the exam, but then, uh, you know, of, late of young men who are, who are coming of age and also discovering a larger world. Exactly. Exactly. That is a classic case. So, you know, Miles, learns about himself, you know, his admiral, you know, his admirable admiral qualities right. by branching out in, into the universe. Cordelia and Errol already know all that. They already know all that. So now, obviously, if you've read the Miles novels and then come to Shards of Honor or Cordelia's Honor, you can, you can bring that knowledge with you. Mm-hmm. But it has such a different flavor to it. It's not something new and overwhelming in which you wonder if you're going to succeed. Errol and Cordelia have no doubts about themselves as individuals. They know mm -hmm. exactly what they're doing. Mm -hmm. Okay? So it's you can see the politics from their eyes rather than from the eyes of the young man who's also testing himself. Right. Another example, I think, now, again, this, you know, this might be a little bit off because, uh, it, well, first of all, it's still Bujold, who I think just has such a touch for character and character development. Mm -hmm. But if you think about the Chalion series, all right, mm -hmm. of course, you know, we the readers... We learn about Chalion in the first novel. Through Curse of Chalion. That's right. But the second one, Paladin of Souls. Paladin of Souls has Ista, who's a character we met before yes. in the first novel. But the second novel is about her and about her actually reclaiming her magic. All right. And also finding her life. All right. So in that sense, it is finding of oneself novel. Right. But she's older. 
Okay, she knows who she is. She doesn't have any of those insecurities that young people have because they get all nervous about stuff. I don't know what you're talking about. No, I know. I know. <laughs> you know, she's, you know, she has been queen. Yes. She knows how to handle herself. So her discovery of her magic, I think, has has a very different character to it. It's more like her claiming it mm -hmm. than it kind of bouncing out of her. I am trying to find specifics among these to hold on to, and, and I'm grappling in part because I haven't read either one in a while. But as I think about kind of the sci-fi and fantasy that I read a lot of and mm -hmm. the, the ways that the world is built and created, I think that a lot of what's going on with a young and inexperienced protagonist who gets to learn about themselves is that there are many opportunities to have things explained. Oh, yes. And therefore, there are many opportunities to learn about the world and the setting. That the journey that this young narrator is taking is in part sort of learning about themselves and self-discovery and coming of age, but is also very much a chance to show the reader, look at everything that's in this world. That Miles yes. gets to show us how space works and how space combat works and how politics work and all of those things all of all of which are neat and in many ways what i at least have come to expect when i think of a space opera or epic fantasy yes and i i'm just wondering because i i feel like with both ista and cordelia discovering what's going on in the world is not the introduction that the reader gets right is that is that a fair assessment that for, for neither of those books? Yes, that is, in both cases, those are uh, subsequent books mm -hmm. in the series. So it's fair to say most readers come to those books already, you know, kind of versed in stuff. Okay, but let me bring up a different example, actually two different actually, examples. Can I jump in with one first? Because I'm sure. thinking about a slightly different genre, because I recently read uh, The Three-Body Problem. Okay. By Shishin Liu, translated by Ken Liu. It's much closer to hard science fiction. Have you... I know I've recommended it. Have you read it or no? I have it, but I have not read it yet. We are doing very well on making sure that we've both read the same books before talking about this. <laughs> All of the characters there are also established. There is no <laughs> relatively young character who comes of age and teaches us about things. All of the characters there, it's near future China is the setting. Okay. Um, and so while there are plenty of translator's notes to explain some of the references, there is very little explanation of what's going on or how this near future China is different from current China and you need to discover the world. It Instead, there are points of discovery, and there are points of discovery where, for instance, a scientist is thrown into some levels of espionage, and there's some military stuff going on, and so he's in areas in which he's not necessarily experienced, which mm -hmm. means that there are cases where someone can say, well, this is how this sort of thing works. But in general, 
once again, that's not a book about introducing a galactic empire or a brand new world. That mm-hmm. There's no need for grand revelation of the space em- empire that you'd associate with space opera. There's no need for, here's my entirely new secondary world with a new magic system that I have to introduce in epic fantasy. Mm-hmm. So, so it, it feels almost like there's no need for that coming of age character who gets lots of things explained to them mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. the story is about something entirely different. And so I'm, I'm, I'm seeing one possible connection being that the coming of age character might be very useful in the sorts of books that are about introducing a new setting, which I would associate among the, the broader sci-fi fantasy genre I'd associate with secondary world and space opera although i suspect that you were about to bring up at least one counterexample. i'm not quite sure where you're going but that's my guess <laughs> well first let me say that yes i i take the point about how nice it is to have a young character who needs explanations in order to introduce the reader to the world okay sure but that character also has to make sense as a character. So coming of age has to have a role in the book itself. And in that context, I would just say that surely, surely, surely some of our interest in these new worlds isn't just, oh, here, here is yet another new world, but also wouldn't it be nice to be heroic? Ah, uh, that seems that seems fair, although I'm pretty far on the I like New Worlds for their own sake side of the spectrum. But yes, I definitely <laughs> spent a certain amount of time imagining myself as someone coming of age in, 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 in well, I didn't think about the coming of age so much as the being heroic in an entirely yeah. new setting. Yes. Sure. Okay. What about one we both have read, Elfenheim? Eiffelheim. Where, once again, Eiffelheim, where we learn about the aliens through the eyes of the priest. Yes, and where we are arguably learning more about medieval thought and reasoning than we are about aliens. Maybe. Maybe... Maybe. Uh, we do have a very interesting priest in medieval Germany, and I don't remember quite which uh, century it is, and some aliens land. Right. And some people think of them as demons, and the priest assumes that they can't be demons because we're far enough along that there's a certain amount of logic. Occam. Occam. Right. He is a disciple of Occam and therefore assumes that they must be real. And so he gets to think a lot about the principles of Occam and some of the other medieval logicians, and he also gets to think a lot about what it would mean to have a spirit and a soul. Exactly. And while he is doing that, other people in the village get to be foils for him thinking about all of that. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And so we get all sorts of stuff on medieval theology and thought process, among other things. Yes. We also have two yes. relatively modern postdocs. But go on. You right. you had things to say about Eiffelheim that I'm kind of sidetracking. 
Well, again, it's it's how do we learn about the world? We don't learn about the world by a young person, you know, finding himself or herself against it. We learn about it through a mature adult using the skills and experience developed over time to confront this new problem. Yes, but we care because there's also a future time, and so we know that his village disappears. Yes. And is never resettled. We know that there is a mystery involving his village and what's going on with it. Yes. I found that kind of frame story pretty pretty uh, lame, but yes, I I think that the modern the modern stuff is is relatively un is certainly the more uninteresting of the two sides. On the other hand, would you so going back to how to get invested in the story and that one reason to have a young person coming of age is. So the reader can say, I too would like to be a hero in this place. Yes. Would you care at all about Eiffelheim without some notion that something weird happens to this village such that it is never settled? Especially once you figure out that these aliens are relatively kind, right? Like, yeah. And mention the framing not so much because I think it has much value to it but because i think it strengthens it strengthens the the medieval side of things yes i would also say that a large part of the frame story is actually about historical research so that one can compare and contrast the kinds of skills and thought process of the priest in the 14th century versus the modern historian, especially the modern historian who's versed in all the mathematics, but can't actually find out what happened, right? right. And needs, you know, much more narrative history to do that. So that part of the frame story I did find attractive. And I think that, you know, one of the intents of the novel is to get us to reflect on how smart are we anyway? You know, isn't all this medieval stuff pretty, pretty strong in terms of, you know, training the mind? Yes. Yes. I think that I am reasonably persuaded but or or I, I don't know if persuaded is quite right i'm not sure if you're trying to persuade me of anything but i think i am coming to the notion that having a character who is coming of age can be very useful as a way to do world building and can be very useful as a way to hook reader interest and there's a whole yes. other conversation about whose interest you are hooking <laughs> Yes. Which readers you are trying to suck into this world, but let's pretend that we're targeting, you know, relatively young people and, um, ignore demographics of race and gender because that's, that's a, <laughs> that's a big conversation separate to be had. The notion that. Well, even us old women like coming of age stories occasionally, Jonah. So. <laughs> Good. That, well, if, if you're reading much science fiction and fantasy, you're going to get a lot of them, right? It's such a tough life. <laughs> but by by not having those characters and by instead having characters who are 
secure and confident in themselves, you get, among other things, immediately competence, which can yes. be really nice. Yes. That, you know, Errol and uh, Cordelia going through the wilderness, they know what they're doing. Exactly. In ways that is not true of so many others, which means you get to do things like really need character development and romantic development and not have to worry about the insecure person who's coming of age. Yes. Yes. One other example I might mm-hmm. want to bring up in, you know, in this, in this context would be um, ancillary justice. I'm listening. Okay. All right. So the young lieutenant on, Okay. Yes, Lieutenant On. Lieutenant On, and then the ship, Justice of Torn. Now, the ship has lived forever and has all this experience and knows everything there is to know about young lieutenants. All yes. right. So you actually see the ship. Justice of Torrent taking care of the young lieutenant, helping her through her coming of age odyssey, which of course ends badly, but you know. Yes. So that seems to me a really nice balance for learning about the world through two sets of eyes simultaneously. And also, we have, because it's a parallel story, we also have Breck. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And one thing that that gives is Breck's other perspective. Um, And I think that there's a reasonable amount of world building done with Breck's perspective because she's outside the ratch and so we can do a lot of stuff. But also, much like with Eiffelheim, and I bet that this is the only time that Eiffelheim and Ancillary Justice have been compared. (laughs) And I feel a little bad doing it because they're not quite in the same league. But... Much like with Eiffelheim, we have these two separate stories, each of which gives interest to the other. Yes. Yes. That one of them kind of sets up, well, or at least Breck's story makes you much more interested in Justice of Torrance's story. Yes. But in terms of competence, Mm -hmm. Breck certainly has that in spades. Yes. Now, Now, she doesn't always know why she does stuff. But she's always confident about doing it. She's not kind of always second-guessing herself. Oh, you know, how do I negotiate all of this? That's not her issue. So even though, you know, technically or in some sense she's only 19 years old, she actually takes over that kind of, of confidence from Justice of, of, of Torrance. I would say also, and I'm going to go back to the Justice of Tor and Lieutenant On side of things, there is a young person coming of age story. Yes, cut off a little bit early. But a young person coming of age story, it's just not the protagonists. Yes. You're sort of tangentially observing it. We can have some of the benefits of it. Lieutenant On and Lieutenant Alwer can have their discussions about colonialism and about all the tensions that are going on on the planet that will set things up and we can we can use them occasionally as plot devices to learn about the world and the ratch system right without having to cringe along as the person coming of age comes of age and has moments of self-doubt and lacking confidence and 
the other things that come along with a young narrator coming of age. Yes. So I think that that's, you know, I think that's one of the strengths of the book. You are reaffirming for me all (laughs) yet another reason that that ancillary justice is really good. Yeah, that that hadn't even occurred to me. If I could do a comparison with another uh, uh, genre, Mm -hmm. you know, most romances Mm -hmm. are about, you know, young women, at least the ones I've read, are about, you know, young women, you know, falling in love and, you know, figuring all that out. But there are romances where the woman is older. If you mm-hmm. think about um persuasion, even Jane Austen has an older woman mm-hmm. falling in love. And once again, the older woman is, and she's not all that old, okay, this says the 63-year-old, but she's old enough to know her own feelings, to name them by name, to not get so caught up in them that she can't see the world. So that's... That seems to me to be... We need novels like that, too. Yes. I recently was listening to a pop culture happy hour, and they did a special on romance novels. And one of the things they talked about was that there are many charming and wonderful things about protagonists who have misunderstandings, but it sounded like many of them had also gotten kind of fed up with Novels that could have been resolved very early on had people been able to clear up a misunderstanding. Yes, yes. And so I certainly, I've I've read only a couple of romance novels and can't speak to the genre and how common it is, but what you are saying resonates with other stuff I've heard from people who read more than I do. And that, <laughs> I mean, even more than with fantasy and science fiction, the romance novel is, is about sort of relationships between people and... Yeah, often often hinges on the narrator who does not fully know themselves. Yes. And there are, once again, lots of things that you can do with that. I'm thinking now a little bit about the notion of suspension of disbelief. Mm-hmm. And that when I'm reading, and I'm jumping away from romance novels here and back to secondary world fantasy that I'm more familiar with. But when That's I'm fine. reading a fantasy novel... Part of what I'm doing is saying, okay, I'm going to turn off all of the stuff that makes, you know, not all of the stuff, but at least some of the stuff that makes me know that, you know, this isn't real. Right. There, There is, in fact, no Middle Earth, much as I would like there to be. <laughs> but there are things that knock me out of that. And there are also things that I'm, I'm kind of con- consciously or semi-consciously saying, okay, I'm going to ignore the fact that I know this isn't real so as to get absorbed in it. And I wonder if there's yes. a certain amount of, I'm going to ignore, I'm going to let the author get away with this relatively young and inexperienced protagonist, who I've seen many times before, and who's convenient and allows all sorts of narrative tricks because the young and inexperienced protagonist is convenient and allows all sorts of narrative tricks. But, you know, there's there's a lot of blowback against the naive farm boy who gets pulled into adventure. Yes. But at the same time, I think that, you know, you know, the journey of self-discovery, you know, isn't a bad plot. I mean, I like reading about interesting characters who discover themselves. I definitely am drawn to character development. Each episode closes with a memory of a significant book. 
the book that I would like to talk about is one that I always have a couple of copies of because I give them away, especially to, you know, my young, you know, female friends. And that is The Hero in the Crown yes. by McKinley. Yes. And I just love that book. Now, that's clearly coming of age. Okay, clearly coming of age. Mm -hmm. But it's through this wonderful, wonderful character. And what just, I mean, I can remember reading the scene where she kills the the black dragon, Maurer. Mm -hmm. And then you get page after page after page of her recovering, mm -hmm. kind of. And I thought to myself, even then, you know, in these other ones, the hero does something really great and gets hurt. And then three pages later, there's a banquet or whatever. Mm -hmm. Not in this one. You see her learning to take care of herself, figuring out how to take care of her horse, going through the physical pain, but also the mental anguish of what she's done. And I just think that that's an amazing scene. Thanks for listening to Cabbages and Kings. Please let me know what you think of the show. On the website, cabbagesandkings.audio, there's a feedback form and also a page if you'd like to be on the show. Or just go ahead and email contact at cabbagesandkings.audio. I'm on Twitter at Jay Sutton Morse. The show is on Twitter at King Cabbage Cast. Let me know what you enjoyed, what books you're reaching for now, what I can do to make the show better. The website also has an occasional blog, my running tweets on books I'm reading, and importantly, a link to the RSS feed for this show, which you can also find on iTunes and wherever fine podcasts are aggregated. Until next time, enjoy your reading.